How you guys doing tonight? Oh, just dandy. I'm feeling like a bird in the sky. Zach's like a bird. He wants no, to fly no, no, away. Uh, so th- there's been a very exciting development this week. Zach and I have gotten Jonathan into Denis Villeneuve films. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. Just a bit. Well, you yeah, had like, to I before killed. Dune comes out. Well, exactly, because, right. like, all I kept hearing was Paul going, all right, this is, you know, already the greatest movie of 2020. And then I saw the trailer. I'm like, did they just use Eclipse in this trailer? Okay, nope, I'm down. And and then I saw the cast, and I'm like, all right, I'm down. And then I watched the trailer, and I'm like, oh, my God, I think I... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and then I'm like, all right, you know what? Let me take a look at this guy's filmography, because you guys were talking about... Paul was talking about Prisoners, and I'm like... Because Zach had watched it recently. Yeah, I'd been meaning yeah. to watch it forever. I was late, but so I finally did. Well, and then Paul was talking about how he was turning it into a Christmas movie about Thanksgiving going after Christmas or something like that. <laughs> because because the kidnapping in the film takes place on Thanksgiving Day. So it's the spirit of Thanksgiving getting kidnapped by the spirit of Christmas. Exactly. And now um, Paul Dano. Uh, suddenly forgot Hugh Jackman's name. Hugh Jackman's oh. <laughs> got to go get the, the spirit of Thanksgiving back in Thanksgiving. Nice. So, yeah, so I was like, you know what? I'm going to watch Prisoners. I'm going to watch uh oh, you watched Arrival. Watch? Arrival. And, and then, then Blade Runner 2049. That's right. Yep. So I watched Prisoners, Blade Blade Runner 2049 and then Arrival. And man, it was hard to rank those 3 against each other, but I think I watched them in the order that I enjoyed them. Okay. Cuz I I wasn't I'm not a huge Blade Runner fan. It's just not for me. I I am. Yeah, but. like like we talked about this. Like Blade Runner was a movie for me where I had to watch it five times. I st- when I watched it when I was in high school, I didn't really get it. It made me sleepy. I fell asleep. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then there there's yeah. probably two more times I watched it in my adulthood where I was just I was starting it too late at night or something. I kept falling asleep because there's very quiet moments of the movie. Um, yeah. But then finally, a couple of years ago, I sat down and watched the director's cut and uh it clicks so, finally so right so when i was like 10 or 11 i my best friend at that time lived right next door to me and i would go over to his house and his mom just kind of let him watch whatever he wanted you know excluding like any kind of porn or, <laughs> yeah. but but essentially most things were on the table and one of the things that he was really obsessed with that he got me obsessed with when I was like 10 or 11 was the Alien franchise. Nice. And I loved the first Alien film so much that when I found out the same director and essentially most of the same crew did a sci-fi movie, uh, I went out and got it immediately. And it was Blade Runner. And I started with the director's cut and I was probably in middle school or early high school when I first watched it. And I fell in love with the director's cut immediately. Like this is one of the most gorgeous things I've ever seen. It's uh, probably my favorite sci-fi film. Nice. Uh, well, probably okay. there's a, there's a lot of conversation that could go on what constitute as sci-fi and where you would rank things. Yeah. Cause you yeah. know, being the star Wars nerd, I am most people rank it as a fantasy film. Mm. And, it's it's hard for me to argue that. But you did enjoy 2049. Kind of like Jonathan more more than you did the original. Oh, I oh god, I loved 2049. So oh god, much. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's just 
And I don't understand the flack that that movie got, too, because it wasn't super well received. Well, it's maybe one of those things where there was some fanboy backlash, but I think critically it was pretty well received. Yeah, I think it... I mean, again, tomato meter is not end-all be-all of anything, and it the yeah. percentage only means that that's the amount of positive reviews, and positive reviews could go from A-plus to, like, a C. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So if you if if it gets C's across the board, it could still get a 90 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. So I don't want anyone to think that I'm putting all of my eggs into the Rotten Tomatoes basket. But I do believe it did rank up in the 90s on Rotten Tomatoes and it got nominated for Best Picture and a ton of other awards. My main thing is, like Zach had said, it was the fanboys, you know, being the most vocal group. And Roger Deakins finally got his Academy Award after like 14 nominations for that movie. Yeah. So <laughs> and now he's got two. Yeah. Well, you got a second one, 1917? Was it? Yeah. Which I yeah. actually still yeah. need to see. I'm going to say we've covered uh, three films about World War One on this program. And I would rank, if I were to rank those three with 1917, 1917 would be my third favorite. Okay. Well, uh, that sounds like a good segue. Yeah. It does. Let's talk about a movie. Hello, all of you beautiful people out there on the internet. Oh, okay. Got that. <laughs> Another blooper for you, yeah, Trav. Go ahead and post that. <laughs> Son of a bitch. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I loved it. I thought it was the best. Yes, I, I thought good. it was the best. Um, hello, all you beautiful people out there in podcast land. My name is Paul Workman. I'm Jonathan Pierce. And I am Zach McCoy. And we are your Oscar Grouches. Welcome back to the Oscar Worsty Podcast, a show where we discuss Oscar winners throughout history and try to determine where the Academy went wrong, if they went wrong, and what film are we watching this week, Jonathan? We watched Mutiny on the Bounty. Oh, yeah. I've had enough of this bloodshed. He's the master of life and death on the quarter deck above the angels. McCoy! And uh, Mutiny on the Bounty follows a ship and its crew as they're forced to deal with its tyrannical captain. Up until the never-British Clark Gable decides mutiny is the only option. (laughs) What an appropriate day to be watching this movie. (laughs) (laughs) That is a good point. Uh, For everybody who, uh, you know, we record this about a week and a half before it comes out. Uh, for everybody who's wondering, we're recording this on the Friday after Election Day. So it's, uh, what, Election Day Part 4. Yeah. <laughs> still going. You know, who knows? It might still be going when this comes out. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Wait, so does that mean today's Election Day in space? Yes. Yes, it is. Oh, nice. Yes. <laughs> um, so uh, today, in the news of the election, Georgia and Pennsylvania have both 
flipped in Biden's favor, and we're hoping that continues. So we're going to see how data this sounds in a week and a half. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it was awesome. Was this, uh, was this everybody's first time watching this? Yes, sir. Yes, it was. It was not mine. Oh, you I'm not surprised. <laughs> uh, well, after uh, being obsessed with uh, Gone with the Wind when I was a small child. <laughs> Again, I watched Gone with the Wind when I was like nine or ten on TNT. Five. All <laughs> like five and a half hours of the TNT broadcast with all those commercials. <laughs> <laughs> I Come on, man, man, watch Gone with the Wind today. <laughs> yep. All day. We're going to start Gone with the Wind at 9 o'clock, and it'll be over by midnight. Um, I was obsessed with Clark Gable after that movie, because he is a beautiful and handsome man, and I knew that even at the age of 10. <laughs> and uh, eventually, when I started getting into uh, watching all the best pictures I could watch, I, I started pretty early with the ones that Clark Gable was in, and that was It Happened One Night, which we covered last week. In this film, hey, Clark Gable. No, I I knew it was him the whole time, but it took me a long time to really know because he had to shave his mustache for this role. (laughs) Well, and also, does it look like the guy aged like at least 15 years between those two movies? A year apart. In a year? (laughs) Somehow. I don't know if it was the hair or just the dress or what, but he looked like a totally different person to me. You know, we, we go from a movie where he's in modern times and a three, you know, three piece suit looking, looking real handsome with the mustache and then and short hair. And then now he's in pantaloons and got long hair with no mustache. He just throws you off for a minute. Yeah, really does. All right. Do we want to do an Oscar breakdown? Yes, please. Break it down. Uh. So Mutiny and the Bounty is the last film to date to win Best Picture and nothing else. Okay. But it was nominated for eight awards. Oh, geez. Uh, so, of course, Best Picture, uh, which it beats out Broadway Melody of 1936, a film that I kind of want to watch to see how it <laughs> stacks up to its predecessor. Uh, it beats out John Ford's The Informer and uh, Midsummer Night's Dream, and I'm just going to cover those, but there are 11 other nominees with Mutiny and the Bounty. So it beats out 11 films, sure. wins Best Picture. Uh, John Ford beats Frank Lloyd for Best Director for The Informer, uh, and Frank Lloyd, of course, already has two Academy Awards, so why don't we just share the love and give one to John Ford? Gotcha. Everybody. Keep John Ford's name in, in mind for future episodes. Uh, <laughs> Michael Curtis would be uh, a write-in nominee for Best Director, but would, of course, not win. Uh, and this was oh, the last year for write-ins. If you remember last week, that was the first year for write-ins. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, all right. So Clark Gable, Charles Lawton, and Franchot Tone all get nominated for Best Actor. All, all for best actor. Okay, not supporting or anything. There is no supporting actor. That's right. That's right. There is no. In fact, uh, I'm going to go ahead and give us a little spoiler warning for next week. Because these three got nominated in the same category and none of them won, they create the supporting actor nominees okay. next year. Excellent. Good idea. <laughs> because nice. of this movie. So all three of them get nominated and they all three lose to Victor McLaglen for... Uh, John Ford's The Informer. Uh, Betty Davis 
who was a write-in nominee the year before, wins for the film Dangerous. And uh, I guess that's a good time for me to go into the fact that uh, something I neglected to cover in the first episode was that the Academy Awards were created by the studios, specifically Louis B. Mayer, as a way to try to undercut the unions in their negotiating power, uh, which is, yeah, a real shitty thing to do. And finally, the unions had had enough of it and they boycotted these Oscars. Betty Davis was one of the only celebrities to actually show up and she gets a nominee, award. gets her Academy Award for it. Now, that's not to say that okay. I, I think that she only got the Academy Award because she showed up. She's an amazing actress. And just She just happened to be the yeah. one that was there. So uh, Betty Davis wins for Dangerous. Uh, original, best original story goes to a film called The Scoundrel. Best adaptation goes to The Informer. And I believe, yes, Dudley Nichols, the writer of The Informer, refused his Oscar. Okay. Also, it be- because of the the issue with the unions. Yeah. So the right because okay. he because he was part of the writers' union. Yeah. Um, also, it beat out Mutiny on the Bounty. So I'm up. so I don't know anything about the year, but it seems like the Informer was maybe the Mutiny on the Bounty was one of those like surprise victories because the Informer was so decorated. Yeah. Yeah. And I. It makes you wonder, because Frank Lloyd, of course, was uh, part of the Academy. He was a big part of the Academy if they gave it to him mm. as kind of a, a thank you. Thank for, you. Or, yeah. yeah. Uh, though at this point, Frank Capra was the president of the Academy. And I, I'm sure I'm going to have some notes on that next week. So keep that in mind. Okay. Um, Speaking of on mind, because of the amount of times that we've now said the informer, I'm going to have snow in my head for the next week. Well, it's going to lick your boom boom down, so there you go. <laughs> God damn it, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so what am I up to on Mutiny on the Bounty? I've done one, two, three, four, five, six of its nominations. Um, best live action short goes to a film called How to Sleep. Uh, best live action short subject goes over, or short subject novelty goes to Wings Over Everest and everybody's favorite segment, my podcast within a podcast, Walt Disney Oscar watch. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Walt Disney wins his fifth Academy award in four years for a short cartoon called three orphan kittens. Oh, he beat out and follow me here. Walt Disney <laughs> for who killed cock Robin. <laughs> I'm sorry. What? <laughs> who killed and robbed the cock? Um, uh, I, I believe I believe um, the title refers to who stopped the joy in robbing people's cocks. Who killed? Oh. Who killed Cock Robin? Oh man! Uh, I don't. Uh, the original boner killer, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, Cock Robin apparently is a chicken that is caricatured after Bing Crosby. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to go too much further into this. <laughs> now I need a, a now I need a Rockadoodle versus Cock Robin. Yes, please. I will google that later. Um oh, please don't. <laughs> okay. So, best scoring goes to The Informer, which beats out Mutiny on the Bounty, which I have never actually seen The Informer and I really I've been meaning to most of my life. So I need to get on that. Let's do it. We should. I think that would be great. I'm going to I'm going to find this movie for too long. OK, so best song goes to Lullaby of Broadway from Gold Diggers of 1935. Mm -hmm. uh, best sound recording goes to Naughty Marietta. Ooh. 
another film I have not seen. Okay. I feel like best art direction goes to a film called The Dark Angel. Best cinematography goes to Midsummer Night's Dream, as does best film editing. Uh, and best assistant director goes to Clem Beauchamp and Paul Wing for the lives of a Bingle Lancer. <laughs> now, I feel like most of the titles you've been popping up today just aren't real. They, <laughs> they do sound like fake movie titles from like 30 Rock, don't they? <laughs> the, the Ballad of Farty McPantsy stuff. All right. So um, the Academy adds its 17th category up from 16 last year for best dance direction. And that okay. had a mutiny not win that yeah, one. Right? There was a couple of scenes where I was like, yeah, get it. I'm actually going to say I'm really upset at the winner just because uh, I am a fan of one of the losers, oh, like a big fan of one of the losers. Uh, so Broadway Melody of 1936 and Follet Berger de Paris both win and go to Dave Gold. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I know who you're mad about. Uh, yeah, Busby Berkeley loses for Gold Diggers in 1935, and Busby, Busby Berkeley should be the only person to win that award. Oh, Fair I enough. thought you were going to say maybe Top Hat. Oh, yeah, Top Hat's a really good film, but Busby Berkeley is one of those uh, choreographers who is imitated in just about everything you've ever seen. Gotcha. And and everybody knocks him off because he's immediately just recognizable as a Busby Berkeley choreographed dance uh, including um, the Big Lebowski's dream sequence oh. has a lot of buzz has a lot of Busby Berkeley inspiration in it. Okay. Uh, D.W. Griffith wins an honorary award for his distinguished creative achievements as director and producer and his invaluable initiative and lasting contributions to the progress of the motion picture arts. All right. D.W. Griffith, if you don't know, is the director of Birth of a Nation, one of the most racist films ever made. That. I was, yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, D.W. Griffith pretty much invented editing. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's our Oscar recap. Uh, Mutiny on the Bounty, nominated for eight, nom uh, eight awards, wins only Best Picture or Outstanding Production. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. All right, so let's, uh, let's talk about this movie that, uh, God damn, did I love. This is a great film. It is. Like, it I, really is. Um, some of the mild racism aside, I really enjoyed this film. Yeah. It, uh, it was there. It, I'm saying mild. I'm not. Yeah. Again, yeah. It's it's not yeah. birth of a nation, but it's it's not no, it's not like racist. Whitewashed colonialism, but in a nice way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll get into no, it. I, but, uh, yeah. I want to start by saying. Um, comparing this, going back to Frank Lloyd, looking at Cavalcade, this fixed a lot of the issues I had with Cavalcade. Like, I love the characters here, where I didn't in the other movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, these are these are good characters. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, down to the point where Bly was just so fucking terrible, but I loved that character so much. Yeah, uh, when AFI did their... 50 villains, 50 heroes. He was like number 19 on the villains list. I believe it. Yeah. Also, this was uh, number 86 on their 1998 100 greatest movies list. And I, and I love the fact that it was a character that never was redeemed. Right. Like, uh, like I that's a trope I, I, I can't get behind most of the time. But the way that this was done in the fact that they're like, 
you kind of like, all right, I feel bad for the way, like when, when the, after the mutiny happened and they're stuck on the boat and everything, and yeah. the way they're doing the journey, like, oh man, is this guy going to get like a redemption arc in some way? Am I supposed to feel bad for this guy? And then you just, the way you see him come back and I mean, oh God, I thought it was so well done. And just, he continued to be just the biggest jackass in the world. Yeah, I completely agree. Down to the point where they're, they're in the trial for all the mutineers at the end of the film. And they ask him, so did you, did you have any inkling that a mutiny was going to happen? He's like, no. (laughs) (laughs) My God. No, everything was perfect. (laughs) We were having a lovely time. Everybody loves me. (laughs) What's their problem? It's like, if they don't, they don't love me. It must be their fault. Yeah. Like you said, another, uh, another good reason why it was an appropriate movie to talk about. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Zero redeemable qualities. And, and Charles Lawton. Oh, Charles Lawton's performance is just so wonderful. So here we here we come to the only issue that I have with the movie. Okay. Is the uh all right, they're all British, but a few of them aren't. <laughs> and a couple of them are trying. Yeah, uh to, like to stick up for Cary or Cary Grant. I almost say Cary Grant. No, I said Cary Grant like <laughs> nice. four times. Uh, to stick up for Clark Gable. Uh, Clark Gable thinks he is absolutely miscast in this film, but but he gets to Adam Sandler and go take a vacation out to a uh, French Polynesia, so he's <laughs> right? he's not complaining too much. Walk <laughs> around smiling, was... looking handsome, kissing pretty women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think he was miscast at all, and and the, it kind of makes me wonder because didn't he not want to do? Uh, it happened one night. No, he did not. So it just kind of sounds like this is a guy who's like says yes to projects that he feels like he shouldn't be doing and doesn't want to do because <laughs> the dude wants to get paid or go on vacation. And it just gets heaped with praise. And still just brings it. <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> he's like, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. Like, dude, you, you have some really terrible decision making processes. It's outside the fact that you're making the right decisions for the wrong reasons, but I appreciate you at least bringing everything with you. <laughs> So they shoot this film in Catalina, and apparently he was very much on board to go to Catalina so he could just get drunk and have sex. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, A real pirate. Right. And uh, apparently he was not a big fan of um, Franchot Tone because apparently... I almost said Cary Grant again. Why do we keep saying Cary Grant? Man, yeah, my, what the hell? I am so tired. This election has wiped my brain out. <laughs> it's funny, though. I've I've almost thought Cary Grant a couple times this week while watching the movie. But I, I don't know it, what it is. It doesn't nice. help that they it's it, Clark Gable CG and Cary Grant CG. Like it's. Yeah. Um, so apparently Clark Gable was not a big fan of French Hot Tone because uh, Cary. <laughs> Wow! <laughs> I'm just done with myself. I can't even stand it right now. <laughs> Clark Gable, henceforth known as CG, CG uh, was was trying to hook up with Joan Crawford and got undercut by Tone. <laughs> tone, oh. tone married her. <laughs> I wonder if that kind of worked with the relationship, the the hot and cold, you know, because they 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 were both great. Um, Franchot is that we said Franchot tone. Yeah, I, I think he, that's how we I, pronounce his name. Uh, I, I'm yeah. actually trying to figure that out now. <laughs> yeah, it's either Franchot so, or Franco. I don't know, but I think he to me 
in the ending scene was the best acting in the whole movie. Like the, the, the speech he gives, I don't know. His, just his emotion. <sighs> right. It was a little scenery chewy for me. I can, I can appreciate that. Yeah. But he, uh, the, the one moment where he kind of looks, I, I hate that when you look up, when you're having a serious moment, like, like I'm in that monologue and I'm looking up to the sky, like, Hey, there's people in front of you. You're actually talking to them. What are you looking up at? <laughs> I hate that. I hate it when actors do that. But outside of that one moment, I thought that that last monologue was really well done. I don't like the, I thought he should have died. I think that would have driven the point home for the story, but yeah, un- unfortunately for that uh, line of thinking, this is uh, mutiny on the bounty is based off of actual events. And while his sure, character sure. is fictionalized, he is a fictionalized version of a character that his storyline pretty much plays out as. Okay, sure. Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, I sucks that he lived and the guy with the baby. Uh, at least, you know, I was reading notes after and it, I guess the rest of them are executed. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. And they, and they, and they kind of bring that up there because they even said like we because he, the guy with the baby admitted to the mutiny. So when they were uh, that one scene with with the king where he's just like the, the guys who admitted to it, their punishment has been taken out. Yeah. But by him, let me kind of speak on his behalf, especially after since the dude with the baby had that, you know pretty baller dancing scene. I mean, come on. Dude, yeah. do you see that jig? I was about that. Um, but so I, I just this movie this movie. Wow. Okay. Uh this movie I've had some I, I, right? <laughs> I got the Paul brain. Anyway, uh this this movie I think missed so little. I, I think it it I don't want to call it a perfect movie cuz like I said it has that that issue like anytime immersion is taken away. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. I think a movie gets like an automatic point loss because of that. And the immersion is taken away by the fact that I swear to God, I almost said Cary Grant. (laughs) Clark Cable. (laughs) The fact that Clark Cable didn't have an accent the entire time. The fact that the dude that lost the baby, lost the baby. Jesus (laughs) Christ. The dude that had the baby uh, tried like he, he, that dude, Dick Van Dyke, half the movie. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. It really did. But it it just like I said, that was the immersion that was being pulled out. Other than that, though, I I had to go play a a game with pirates as soon as I finished this one. I was like, I want to go sail the seas. I don't actually want to actually be in water right now, but I can do it with a video game. Yeah. So I went and picked up like I went and played the first one that came to mind because I wanted to do that again. It was I loved that much of the movie. Yeah. So just so much good is going on in this film. And well, I it's one of those times where a lot of this movie is just kind of fictionalized history based off of real events, but mm-hmm. the themes and the performances are so good that I don't even care about half of the things that they yeah. made up to be part of the film. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen it, but I saw notes about the, uh, I guess the 1984 movie with Mel Gibson and Anthony Hopkins. They're like, it was more accurate to the fact, but it wasn't as good a movie or something at least. Yeah. The, the HMS bounty. Yeah. Well, and there was another, was it 1960? With, with Marlon Brando's Bly? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen that one either. Uh, it's it's one of those, those are both films I haven't bothered to see because I saw this one and it's so good that I 
yeah. don't see how yeah, I'm going too. to enjoy a remake as much. Yeah. Like color, I don't think is anything that needs to get added to this movie because it felt so vivid and right. rough. Um, like, you know, just like even when you're in Tahiti, like you're, you're, you're expecting your mind is filling in how bright that area mm-hmm. is in colors. And I felt like just have it in a black and white didn't take it away right. at all. So we'll, let's jump into Tahiti, I guess. Uh, so apparently the actual mutineers go back to Tahiti, the, the real life ones, and start enslaving Tahitians. Uh, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. white people. Uh, yeah. So it's kind of uncool that we just gloss over that, whitewash that, and make them just lovely. Oh, they love us yeah, already. They love us so much. Let's, let's get be, married. Let's have babies. Yeah, let's be great house guests. But again, it it's one of those things that uh, I don't like and I don't agree with. And it, I'm, I'm glad I read about it after I watched the movie because that would have hampered my enjoyment of the film at the time. Now it's kind of one of those like, oh, that's dicey. Because, again, there's themes to this movie that really just get wrecked if you're using too much reality. And it's a shame that it happens. I don't know. That's a that's a thin line. I'm I'm afraid to walk. Yeah, it. Like you said, it not forgivable at all to wash over history or, or pretend like it didn't happen. The movie itself paints Tahiti in such a loving light that that's endearing. And Tahani and Maimidi are both beautiful and smiling and perfect movie stars. Yeah. I don't know, it, it felt so good. And but yeah. You know. <laughs> and let me say that uh, I, I had to go look it up because as soon as... Um, Oh, I'm trying to find his name now. Bill, where'd you go? Man, why are you so far down? Bill Bainbridge, who played Heedy Heedy. Oh, okay. Uh, he came on screen and I was like, oh, please don't, don't actually be a white actor playing the Tahitian chief. And lo and behold, he's Tahitian. Okay, awesome. Uh, Bill yeah. Bainbridge just happened to be his name, uh, but he was born in Tahiti and his full name I am going to butcher. So, uh... Go to his his IMDb page and look it up for yourself. Oh, yeah, God, yeah. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm, nope. I'm not trying to butcher this poor man's name. Yeah, he was great, though. I saw those scenes made me smile. He he was yeah. good. I liked him a lot. And um, one of the two women, Mamo Clark, is also she is Hawaiian. Okay. So she is also Polynesian. So that that was nice that they didn't whitewash her either. But I believe the other Movita, Movita is Spanish. She was the one that was married to Marlon Brando. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Actually, only passed away five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I was about to say she uh she almost made it to a hundred. Missed it by that much. So it, it was nice that they didn't do whitewash casting at the very least. Uh, yeah. Because that's you know very typical around this time okay yeah let's be fair that's very typical throughout all of hollywood history including that's just yeah. <laughs> including the last 10 years so let's let me not pretend that yeah. we don't still do that yep exactly um so it at least they have the leg up there but of course uh conquering white heroes coming in and every everything oh, just yeah. being hunky-dory just a yeah. little hard not gonna happen well the thing is i don't think that they ever came in as the hero but it definitely wasn't, you know, the colonizers that they basically. Yeah. Were. Yeah. But so I mean, like, hey, we're just so, here. Say I mean, and I. Let's live together. 
But I mean, yeah. your two main characters come in and they get the two most beautiful women on the island. And well, of course, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is Clark Gable. I said his name right this time. I was about to say, if Clark Gable comes to the island, you know, you're not getting the pick of the litter. <laughs> all right. Like, <laughs> I don't I think if Clark Gable walked in my house right now, I don't have a wife anymore. <laughs> if Clark Gable walked in my house, I don't think my wife would have a husband anymore. But uh, again, I'm trying not to gush over this movie because I, I, I've been really enjoying the pirate theme a lot over the last year. I've been kind of playing a lot of pirate games. In fact, I've stopped talking to you guys after almost immediately after the uh, recording just so I can go pirate with some friends. Nice. But uh, I really enjoy the hell out of this movie, just even outside of the uh, the theme, just the way... When I when I see the first thing I do when I watch a classical movie is I look how long is this going to be and I saw two hours so I'm like oh come on can I just get an hour and a half movie please <laughs> and then I hear like the beginning of the movie is like all right this is going to be uh, a two year trip like oh this is going to be paced to shit and then I watch it I'm like holy hell is that movie already over I wanted more <laughs> like I would I even wanted more just like out in the ocean like yeah. that was the coolest parts for me and and that's that's not common for me they were really really well shot um everything looked so convincing and realistic I don't I don't know much about the shooting like how far into the water they really were or <laughs> um yeah they they did a lot of shooting in actual water uh because yeah. apparently Charles Lawton was not good on the water and was seasick through most of the shoot. <laughs> <laughs> um, the only the only shooting I think they did in studio, just because they they built those ships. Those are ships that were built for this movie. Nice, nice. And uh, the only shooting they did in studio in the MGM tank was the stuff with. Um, Bly and the other officers on the dinghy in the small boat. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. they shot all of that except his last shot in the, you know, we just conquered the sea shot. And I only noticed like the one time I noticed some like real save some money editing was even only just like a second when they crashed the bounty into the uh, mm -hmm. island. <laughs> you saw a, a little bit of a rewind <laughs> and then fast forward yeah. there. It's yeah. like, ah. <laughs> You guys almost had it perfect, yeah, but almost. it was still a good I shot. Mean, it was the best way to control what you wanted from that shot yeah. because, you know, that'd be done with CGI today. So, yep. So it was a nice fix. God, nobody's willing to just crash a ship anymore. Yeah. Jerks. Do you know if that part uh, was fictionalized or if that was real that they did they. So I don't know about that, uh, but that the book that this was based off of, of the same title was the first book in a trilogy that ends up the third book is named after the island that they land on. Okay. Well, I'll find some trivia and maybe put that on uh, the, the social medias. Oh, that'd be there smart. You go. There you go. All right. So are we ready to ask the real important questions, gentlemen? Yeah, I think, I think we are. Okay. So Paul, yes. does this movie deserve to win best picture? I'm going to go with yes. I think this is a, Gorgeous film. It has really deep themes that unfortunately echo throughout the rest of history that follow it, including what we're going through today. Uh, overthrowing fascist morons who don't deserve to be in charge. Um, you know, sometimes forcefully, which depending on how things are going right now, might happen here. Um, 
fraudulent. Not, not that I'm saying I want that. Right. Just saying it could happen. Uh, it was MGM's most expensive film at the time at $2 million. And uh, I think all of that's on the screen. I think it looks gorgeous. It's incredible. Yeah. It probably should have won more of the awards it was up for, but I'm going to get on trying to find or purchase the Informer so that I can truly see if this if the Informer deserved to beat this for Best Picture as it beat it for everything else. And the Fair only enough. film that I could say from 1935 that I have seen that I think was equal to or better than this film was Alfred Hitchcock's The 39 Steps, which I own on Criterion. Take a drink! Yeah, of course he does. Beautiful. <laughs> Excellent. Zach, does this movie win or deserve to win Best Picture? Well... Think about, you know, Paul mentioned that it was the most expensive MGM at the time. Uh, I believe it was actually very successful at the box office, though, so it was critically and popularly uh, received. Yep. Um, but I am going to say yes also. There actually, there's a lot of good movies that year. Uh, you had Top Hat and a couple of different Charles Dickens ap- adaptations. And Paul mentioned The 39 Steps. Uh I too need to see the informer because I wonder if, you know, there was politics involved there that prevented it from winning best picture. But uh, so, yeah, I, I think, yes, it did deserve it. What do you think, Excellent. Jonathan? I, I need to amend a note real quick. It wasn't just MGM's uh, most expensive film at the time. It was the most expensive film ever made at the time. OK. OK. Oh, All right. nice. Uh, as for me, uh, because I'm a filthy casual and have seen literally nothing else that came out in 1935 on uh, Paul did not mention a single universal monster How about movie. Bride of Frankenstein. Wait, what? Oh yeah. This still beats out. Uh, Bride. Yeah. I think, I think Bride's probably better than Frankenstein. Maybe mm. it's a toss up mm. that that'd be a really interesting uh, conversation to have, but yeah, go on. Yeah. I, I still think this okay. film beats that. Um, yeah, I still <laughs> think this movie beats out Bride. And, and I do love Bride of Frankenstein, but I, like I said, uh, there's a little bias just because of the, the pirate theme that yeah. I really enjoy. Uh, so yeah, definitely. I think this movie deserves the best picture for, for me personally. Uh, but that's from the eyes of a filthy casual. <laughs> well, we so, have uh, Paul. We all agree. We yeah. do. Uh, can I also amend a couple notes before we do our last thing? Of course, of course. Uh, uh, two things I should have added into the Oscar breakdown uh, was that this is the first year that Price Waterhouse tab uh, does the tabulates the ballots envelopes, oh, okay. which they do to this day. And uh, this was the first time that anybody had ever done ad campaigns to try to get Oscars, and it was for MGM, who uh, promoted the movie Ah Wilderness. To get Oscar nominations, and it received none. Right. (laughs) Well done. All right. So uh, we'll snake draft this one then. Uh, Jonathan, was this the worst picture or the worst best picture? Not even close is my answer. In fact, I believe personally this uh, hit my number three spot. What do you got uh, above it? Favorite so far. Uh, wings and all okay. quiet, all quiet. Number one, wings. Number two, those two might back and forth sometimes. Yeah. But yeah, I think this goes into my number three Ooh. spot. Uh, Zach, is this the worst best picture? No, no, it is not. It's a excellent movie. Um, gave me all the feels. Um, it's either my three or four. I might have to go back and look um at my ratings, but yeah. So it, it's it's in the in the top. Excellent. 
And uh, Paul? No, absolutely not. Uh, I'm with you guys. It's probably my three or four right now. uh, With It Happened One Night still being my number one. And uh, I'll have to sit on whether I like it better than Wings or not, because Wings Wings was really good. That's where I'm waffling. Listen, this one, it, it teetered the number two spot, but this movie did lack a hooray bubbles. So <laughs> it's true. I, I mean, I don't know. Um, the one deckhand and. Oh, God, the guy that threw the piss bucket uh, in his Herbert face. Munden and his his ongoing <laughs> trying not to throw piss <laughs> in his own face. <laughs> 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 Oh, poor guy. I'm so happy he got brought up. I was trying to find a way to get him in there, and I'm happy that that was what did it. <laughs> or nervous. Uh, All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap us up here tonight, guys. What do you think? Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. 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 So, Zach, give us them socials, buddy. You can find me on Critiker at Zachmaster, spelled with an X. X A K K M A S T E R, where I post my short reviews. And ratings. All right. And you can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Altorn underscore Occam. And on Twitter at Altorn underscore Occam. Uh, you can also, on Thursday nights, usually, you can catch me and Paul uh, watching some movies. We were watching the Razzies. Hopefully we'll be able to be able to do that again here soon. Uh, my kid is minutes away. We don't know. It could be in like an hour. It could be Goodness. in the next week or so. I doubt minutes, but you yeah. know, but you never we'll know. See. They come, we'll they see. come when they want to. We yep. exactly. And Paul, what do you, strong, strong. <laughs> <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at father of the fear. And you can follow me on letterbox. That's letterbox. B O X D dot com slash vaudevillian. Or you can look me up by name where you can find all my rankings for the best pictures and how I have them right now. Excellent. And Zach, what are we watching next week? Next week. <laughs> choked on my own team. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> we are professionals. <clears throat> next week, we are watching the great Zeke Feld, which you can find on the usuals, YouTube, Voodoo, Amazon Prime, iTunes, or Google. I couldn't find it street on any streaming services. If you see it there, Please let us know. Let me go check Criterion channel real quick. I, I doubt it's there. I didn't see it there. For the two other people in the world that are like Paul and have the Criterion channel subscription. Uh, no. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. We would like to thank Trav from our sister podcast, Leveling Up with Benjamin Banks, for producing our show. We would like to thank Chad Ramsey for our most excellent theme song. You can follow the show on Twitter at OscarWorstyPod and on Facebook at the Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a nice five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. You can just do it in the app and it'll make us more visible in the almighty algorithm. That'll make us smile, too. Yeah, we like smiling. Ooh, smiles, yeah. For Jonathan and Zach, I would like to, for you all to have a damn fine day.